Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, imagine uh, you're sitting at your desk and you're working away and an email comes in from a a headhunter asking if you have some time to talk. And you're curious, maybe you are even downright interested and you get on the phone with them later that day and before you know it, you have a job offer in your hands. It's, it's, it's like more money, it's a better opportunity, and you remind yourself that you were feeling stuck anyway in this job, and finally somebody recognizes your, uh, your talent. It's something that you have always wanted to do. The thing is, it's in Oregon, and all your family's here. Your, your husband and your kids are here. Everyone's happy. So you share the possibility with your family and and one of your kids is excited, one is not at all, and your husband's kinda on the fence, and it ends up being like a split decision. How do you make that decision? Who do you listen to? Here's another scenario. You, You begin dating this new person and you really like them and they seem to really like you and you've had some amazing dates together so far that just make you swoon you're just over the moon and uh you you even start to convince yourself that they might just be the one and so you introduce this special person to your friends and then to your family and and that's when you start to hear some concerns quietly at first but the the concerns that this just might not be the right person for you. And those concerns get louder and louder. How do you make that decision about your future with this this person? Who do you listen to? Who do you not listen to? Voices have weight in your life. They, They carry a certain amount of weight, don't they? And different voices, different people carry different amounts of weight. In that first scenario, Um, How much weight does what your spouse says matter? Probably a lot. What about your kids? What about your friends? What about your mother-in-law or your father-in-law? Or the second scenario, the one about the significant other. How much weight do the voices in your life carry? Your friends, your acquaintances, your, your parents. What if somebody has a criticism? Does, does that end up carrying more weight or do you drop them off the scale completely? How do you know who to listen to? We started a series called Resilient last week and we talked about what it takes last week to develop spiritual resilience and that's what we're talking about today. One of the ways that we become more resilient is in what we do with the voices in our life, like who we listen to and, and specifically how we handle criticism. How can we be resilient in the face of criticism? Resilience, we've said, is this. It's the quality of being able to to adapt to stressful life changes and bounce back from hardship. And it it can be really hard to receive criticism. Sometimes that's because deep down we know we're not doing the right thing, like we know we're not really doing the best thing for us. They really aren't the right person for us. Other times it's hard because we definitely feel like we're doing the right thing. And we still get criticized for it. 
One of the best people to look at when it comes to this is a guy in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. The, the, the voices that we choose to listen to, they, they say a lot about who we are and, and also about who we become. And, and so Jeremiah was this person who was a prophet in Israel who for, for 40 years he had to proclaim a message that nobody wanted to hear. Basically, that their world, that their kingdom and this comfortable system that they had built, this comfortable way of life was coming to an end. Uh, his, his work from every human way to measure was a failure. For 40 years, God makes this appeal with, with great passion to his people through Jeremiah and it doesn't seem to work. There, there was no fixing anything, there was no healing. The, the, the Jews in Jeremiah's day, were God's, they were God's people, but they had lost their way and they had sunken into idolatry. They turned their back on God, they were hypocrites and they were pursuing wealth and materialism. And here's uh, how the book of Jeremiah actually begins to tell this story. It says this, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of, Israel, of Jerusalem went into exile. That's a, a lot to say, but basically it's saying this, that Jeremiah, is, he's called by God to speak God's words to Israel in, in the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. And we know that that was like 627 BC. And his ministry continued until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And, and, and that was like when Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. So that's about 40 years. And it says this, it says that God said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God is saying this, this is really cool. I chose you even before you were born and I appointed you with this task. Not only a prophet to Judah, but uh, not, not only to the Jewish people, but a prophet to the nations, to the entire world. R remember that for, for later here today. Uh, Jeremiah responds in this kind of way to that. He says, alas, sovereign Lord. I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. So Jeremiah automatically comes up with these excuses. It's like he's saying, you, me, you chose me. I'm a nobody. I don't know how to speak. I'm too young for this. I don't have experience. This is why Jeremiah is, is sometimes known as the reluctant prophet because he just didn't want to do what God was asking him to do. And so in order to help Jeremiah out, God gave him two visions. It says this, that the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see, Jeremiah says, the, the, the branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And the almond tree is the first tree to bud in the springtime in Israel. And it's, it's a sign that something is about to happen. The first sign, God's about to do something important. And, and then the second vision, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's, it's tilting toward us from the north. Uh, so a boiling pot is pointing at them uh, from the north and it's about to tip over and spill out onto all of 
of Jeremiah's people. God is trying to light a fire of urgency under Jeremiah's feet. And then it says, like God said this, the Lord said to me from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. So God was saying, hey, I'm motivating you, Jeremiah. This is motivation, and he was going to need it. Get over your hesitancy to do this job, because as it turned out, Jeremiah would preach the message in this unpopular message. He, he would say this, God's judgments are coming unless you repent for 22 long years. So God was saying, judgment is coming. It's coming from the north. I know you don't see it right now, but it's coming. But for a while, it's going to appear to be anything but that. And King Josiah uh, took the reins of Israel and he instituted these reforms. And for like 18 years, it seemed like it was going well. It actually seemed on the outside that it was going okay. And Jeremiah had to call people hypocrites for that long, for 18 long years. Uh, And it seemed like from the outside that people were turning back to God through Josiah's reign and the changes that he was making. But we get a clue as to what was uh, was like really going on here. It says, it goes on to say that in spite of all this, in spite of all those changes, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. It's only the the outward appearance of change, God says, that's going on. And, And that's something that he will not tolerate. The people pretended to respond to Josiah, but inwardly they were the same. Inwardly, they hadn't changed. So Jeremiah persists with his message. Unless you genuinely repent and change your ways, judgment is coming. A northern invader is going to come. That pot's going to boil over and it's going to destroy you and take you captive. But Jeremiah was laughed at and he was scorned for 22 years until the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim when Babylon, led by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, he showed them that they were now the superpower. Judah was overrun by the Babylonians, exactly as Jeremiah had been predicting. And so, and so that happens, and then his message changes. Jeremiah's message began to be this, you guys need to surrender. It's time to give yourself up to these conquerors, the Babylonians. This thing is over, it's just over. And this message to the nationalistic Jews, it was even less popular, and they began to call Jeremiah a traitor. Okay, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, the king of Babylon, he laid siege to to Jerusalem, took people captive back to Babylon, including a young prophet that you might have heard of named Daniel and three of his friends. Jeremiah sends a, a letter to those who are captive. And he says in the letter, here's God's message to you. Build houses, plant vineyards, seek peace with the people of Babylon. But that brought on even more criticism. It brought on a very sharp reply from a false prophet in captivity named Shemaiah. And uh, he confronted him, uh, Jeremiah, in a letter, and other people confronted him face-to-face in these awful and really mean ways because he had angered them with his words. And so God, uh, this is so cool, he gives his assurance to his prophet. He says, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. You're a fortified city, Jeremiah, a defended city, says God. And God isn't talking about Jerusalem. He's not talking about the real city. He's talking about the person of Jeremiah. He's saying, I will defend you. I will protect you. Trust me. And he goes on to say this. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you, 
and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. I am with you, and I will rescue you. You know, fast, fast forwarding, there's a time in Jesus' life where he took his disciples to a place near the northern border of Israel and he asked them this question. He said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? He gets a, he gets a, a variety of answers to that question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's from the book of Matthew chapter 16. It, There were people in Jesus' day that were wise enough, that were smart enough to say, he's like Jeremiah. If you remember Jeremiah, he's like Jeremiah. He's going through some of the same things Jeremiah, the prophet, went through because they saw the criticism he was taking. They saw the suffering that Jesus was taking on and the calling that Jesus had to preach a gospel of repentance. Both of them were in God's will. Before their birth, both of them received violence and opposition from the rulers and the priests. Both of them faced traps. Both of them were falsely accused of treason and both of them prophesied the destruction of the temple and the city. And both of them went into a pit sealed with a stone. Jeremiah was mocked during the reign of the king, King Josiah, because he had all these prophecies that didn't appear to be fulfilled for 22 years. But he was a friend of the king. And so so he was protected. But then something awful happens. Josiah dies. And Jeremiah suddenly is feeling like the bottom dropped out of his world. He wasn't protected anymore. Josiah's son was appointed and his reign lasted all of about three months before he was taken captive by the Pharaoh and brought to Egypt where then he died. And then it goes kind of crazy after that. Pharaoh set up another of his sons, Eliakim, as king. He changed his name to Jehoiakim. Try to keep up with this, right? Still not a big threat happening from the north, from Babylon, but Jehoiakim was selfish and faithless and arrogant. He didn't care about his people and and Jeremiah spoke out against him. Jeremiah speaks out uh, against him. He basically stands up in the temple and he says to all the people, he says, God is saying this, I'm gonna bring disaster on this city and all the villages around it because you are stiff-necked and stubborn and won't listen to my words. And when the priest Pashur, son of Emer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Within a few years, as I'd said, Babylon, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, became the dominant force in the world and invaded Israel from the north. And Jehoiakim became Nebuchadnezzar's servant for three years. But then he rebelled and Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and Jehoiakim uh, was was killed as a result of that. His son Jehoiakim lasted those three months before he surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar and he was deported to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah, another king, in charge of Israel, who was the servant of, of Nebuchadnezzar's, like ruling from a distance, for nine years until he rebelled. And then Nebuchadnezzar dealt quickly and violently with, with him and with that rebellion. All the while, all that's going on, all that chaos. It gets worse and worse and worse for Jeremiah. There's some men around the king, Zedekiah, who hate Jeremiah. They get, they get the king to pronounce a death sentence on him. They claim that he's, he's weakening the, the people and he's trying to, to hurt the country with his words. And when in fact, really the opposite of that was true, he's trying to help them. But, but anyway, they planned a slow and terrible death 
For Jeremiah, he was lowered by ropes into a deep sewer pit where there was a layer of this, this nasty, smelly mud. They put a stone over the mouth of that pit, and he was basically buried alive. But remember God's promise? I'm with you and will rescue you, Jeremiah. So, so God provides a man named Ebed-Melech. Ebed He's an Ethiopian who goes to King Zedekiah. He apparently has some sway and he pleads with the king to be allowed to help Jeremiah. And so Zedekiah says, okay. And this man has Jeremiah pulled from the pit. And it was as if God was answering a question in Jeremiah's life that was in the mind of all the prophets who had come before him, which was this, do you want to know how men will treat my son more severely than they treated you, Jeremiah? But you're going to be a strength for him. Your, your, your faith and your patient endurance is going to be a great encouragement to my son in his greatest time of need. And that is what happened. Jeremiah's very name was a, a prophecy, his very name and a testimony to this because his name literally means this, raised by Yah, raised by God. He was raised out of the pit by God's hand and eventually he will come to see. Eventually he'll come to see, Jeremiah will, that his work and his efforts were not in vain and at the end of his life, he looks ahead with these, these final words. He says this, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach uh, their neighbor or say to one another, um, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. There will come a day, there will come a day where Jeremiah will realize that his labor was not in vain. But um, back to those voices for a minute. None of this would have happened if Jeremiah hadn't listened to the right voices and hadn't ignored the wrong ones. The story of Jeremiah is it's like a great reminder that nobody is immune to criticism. We live in a world where there is a critic on every single corner and it's just easy to, to, to get it, to hear it, to receive it, and to be challenged by it. Voices have weight, don't they? No one goes through life without being influenced by, by people. And one of these voices uh, is, is this. One of these voices is our own self-criticism. You're, you're going to have a running commentary and you're going to talk to yourself in certain ways. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes your running commentary, your running criticism is loud. Sometimes it's faithful. Sometimes it's totally out of fear. Sometimes it's a combination of those things. You're probably going to need to listen to yourself, but you don't always need to let yourself have the final word. When it comes to your self-criticism, be aware be aware of it. Take note of it. Listen to yourself. But you don't always have to let yourself have the final say-so. And then, on top of your own self-criticism, there's the criticism of unproven people. To that, I would say, be wary. There are people that you need to listen to in your life, and there are people you don't. 
And most of the time, these are people uh, like that you don't need to listen to most of the time. People criticizing from a distance, people weighing in without being asked, people with no skin in the game of your life, people with nothing to lose, people with, uh, who, who just talk too much. Now, occasionally, every once in a while, they may say something that's worth hearing. And you need to be open to that. I mean, God used a donkey to speak to a dude, right? And if he used that, he can use anyone, right? But be wary, guard yourself. There are some of you, like, like, like there are some people that you are better off ignoring. And I'll be honest, there are some people that I just don't listen to. I hear them, but I don't listen to them. Then uh, there are these, there are the voices of trustworthy insiders. To these people, I would say to you, be open. Be open. These are the ones who, you, who like know you, who have lived alongside you, who you know are walking with God. You need to have people in your life that you can trust. And when they speak, even if it's against something that you really want to do, you owe it to yourself to listen. And finally, there's this, the voice of God. That topic, the voice of God, deserves an entire message series, but let me just say this. When you hear the unmistakable voice of God, be obedient. I really believe that 99% of the time, the voices of trustworthy insiders in your life and the, voices of, and, and the voice of God will agree. Because God often uses people around us to speak to us, like he did with the people around Jeremiah. He also uses his word. And when he speaks, be obedient. Look, I don't speak for God in your life. I can tell you what he says though, and here's what he says about his own voice in your life and in mine. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want to give you an opportunity to put your life in his hands to surrender to him, to respond to his voice, let me invite you to pray with me. God, I just want to um, mirror that prayer with, with my words here today that, that you are knocking at the door of our hearts and you say that if we will open the door, that you will come in and eat with us and us with you, that we would, will get to have a relationship with you but you won't force your way in through that door in our lives unless we invite you. And so for those today who are considering inviting you in, I just wanna pray for courage and strength and faith. And I wanna offer a prayer that you can say as well to invite Jesus into your life. Um, Jesus, I invite you in. I ask you to come in and live with me. I confess my sin and I repent of it and I accept that what you did on the cross all those years ago was also for me right here today. I invite you into my life, to the house of my heart, to sit with me and to live with me and through me. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. 
That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.